This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at the Ascent Leader who are just helping people get plugged into cohorts. And um, really, if you want to get better at communicating, um, being a person of character, or you've been handed the baton, you got to go to theascentleader.org. Get yourself in a cohort. I'm telling you what, it's a year-long journey. It's fantastic. Also, uh, preaching today, and they long to help you um, just continually be inspired uh, through illustrations, through soul care, uh, through good exegesis work, and um, they're big, big advocates of this podcast. Also, our friends at Food for the Hungry, um, who are just doing amazing work around the world. Uh, gotta if you, if you don't have a, a global partner, um, this is is a, an organization based here in Phoenix that is just phenomenal. Great, great people. And also our friends at CDF Capital. So again, some amazing sponsors, but I don't want to waste any more time. Um, I, I'm so excited about today's podcast. And I know every host says that right when they're about to introduce the guest for the episode. But the person that we are going to learn from today has been someone I've been following because we actually went to the same alma mater. Um, I've heard about her probably eight, nine years ago, and people kept raving like, there's something special about Hosanna Wong. Like there's something, there's something just about her. Um, she would start to do these like spoken words, um, and she would travel around. And, and I, I, I got a, like a video sent to me by someone from our alma mater, Hope International, and I remember just going, man, there is a fire within this woman. There is a passion. There's a depth. And then I've just watched how she has progressed from being a spoken word artist and still does that and is amazing, but to literally preaching on the regular at a great church um, down in the San Diego, greater San Diego area, and just been following from afar. And then most recently she wrote, I think one of the best books um, in, the, in the past year called How Not to Save the World. And it's really all about the truth of revealing God's love to the people that are right next to you. And so without further ado, I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Hosanna Wong. Hosanna, thank you for joining us on the Craft and Character Podcast. Yes, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be with your community today. Well, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I, I just want to dive in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some clips up for people to hear um, towards the end of the episode of a spoken word um, piece of yours, and then also a link to your teach. Cause I, I want people to, to get a sense of your sound because there, there is just a fire. There is a prophetic fire. Every time I, I listen to you, I just, I'm like, it's not just a feeling, but it's a knowing it's yeah. a, it's something that you are, you are like, it's, it's like visionary, but it's practical. It, there's something about it. So I just love maybe if we just go back to the jump, how did you find yourself like kind of getting caught up in this whole spoken word movement? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in San Francisco. My, my dad was a heroin addict for 15 years. He fought in a Chinese gang. 
And he found Jesus and Jesus changed his whole life. And he ended up starting an outreach to those living without homes and battling with addictions on the streets of San Francisco. And that's how I grew up. We had services three days a week with our friends on the streets there. And that's how I learned church. People brought their bottles. People brought their needles. I learned later in life that when other people said they were also raised in church, we were not talking about the exact same thing. But that's where I learned that Jesus actually could save anyone's soul and actually redeem anyone's story because I saw it firsthand. And it's also how I learned spoken word poetry. All my friends on the streets did it. They all spoke hip hop. Um, All my ex-convict friends living on the streets battling with addictions that I spent so much of my childhood with spoke through freestyling or rap or other versions of hip hop and graffiti. And I couldn't do any of those things. But one thing that I love, one art that they taught me that I love was spoken word poetry, which is just, you know, poetry meant to be heard. More of us are familiar with written poetry meant to be read. But we like to say that spoken word, you know, poetry inside of you is one dimensional. Poetry on the page is two dimensional. And spoken word poetry is poetry in 3D. It's meant to be experienced. So you're not really writing for it to be read and processed. You're writing for it to be vocalized. And so an audible audience hears you and can process it and internalize it quickly without ever getting to read it. It's a totally different art, but it's not, you know, too different from the written word. It's just meant to be heard. And so I loved that. And I did that as my hobby and I did it with my friends. And it was just how all my friends spoke. So it wasn't unique where I was. It wasn't different with my community. And then when I was 18 years old, my dad, my hero, uh, he got cancer and he passed away. And I didn't know how I was then going to talk about Jesus, though I knew the need was great and I knew how important it was. And I had a fire inside of me for people to know that they could, how loved they were. Um, I couldn't lead like my dad. I didn't have this crazy story like my dad. And I couldn't preach like my dad. But I knew how to talk to my friends in their language. And so I started talking about Jesus through spoken word poetry, just my own actual questions, my own personal journey. You know, it wasn't perfect. But as I did that on the streets or on the underground slam poetry scene, as I did it in school, um, I just realized that I knew how to communicate to my friends, to my community. So, man, I better say something that matters. And I just realized how people started changing their minds a little bit about how valuable they were and how important their lives were, changing their minds a little bit about how accessible God is and how good God is. And I was like, oh man, this works. I think I'll just do this again tomorrow. And so then I just kept doing it. And that's how I really discovered that this method, though I hadn't seen it before done to share the gospel, it was working to my people. And so I ended up getting a degree in creative writing with a minor in theology to say, okay, now how can I use these words in a and not just a relevant way, but a timeless way. And let's make sure my theology is good. <laughs> if I'm, someone's going to give me this microphone. And I just try to mix all these worlds together to best communicate Jesus to people who communicated that way through stories. It's so it's so amazing because, you know, you, you're right. Like, I, I love how you kind of unpack the 1D, 2D, 3D, you know, and yeah. just like, you know, and just breaking down the the kind of ethos behind spoken word. I'm curious, you know, there's these moments when we all are trying something new and it's something that, you know, we, we grew up around, you know, playing, playing basketball or for you, you know, kind of seeing hip hop or, or spoken word and, and you tried it. Was there a line that you can go back and remember and you're like, Oh, I, I actually can do this. Like that, you, that would go, that would take you back to like, I don't know, 16 year old, 
uh, 18 year old where you're like, and this was, this was that moment, or maybe you don't remember the line, but like you remember this moment going, oh, this really could be used for good news. Yeah. I think somewhere along those years, somewhere between the 13 to 17 year old years were a few moments of me talking about Jesus through spoken word poetry on the streets or in an underground slam where my own friends who know me and love me would start asking me more questions about God, about my faith. And I was like, wow, this really worked to see the art that we both have in common and the storytelling um, that we have in common, this is really connecting with people. So my own friends asking me more questions, my own friends um, changing their minds about their value. Like there was something about like, oh my gosh, I am reaching them. I am actually reaching my friends. But also when I would compete in the secular underground slam poetry scene and I would compete and I would get high ratings, even though I was talking about God in spaces that God wasn't spoken about a ton, it also gave me an appreciation for, I'm going to say the word craft, Steve. Yeah. I'm going to say the word craft. It gave me an appreciation for the craft of how being excellent at this craft is actually a gateway to yes. be in spaces and places that maybe, you know, not being excellent or intentional won't get you. And it showed me, it really opened a door um, for people to say, hey, will you teach our younger poets how to memorize faster, how to write this? Now, my content's about God, but they're also seeing an excellence in craft. Um, and I make in the story of Jesus, I mean, it lacks nothing. Yeah. The gospel lacks nothing. So if, if it's not clear, or if it's not hopeful, maybe it's us communicators not communicating it fully. And so I also think it, I was somewhere in the 13 to 17 year old range was me seeing that my own friends that don't love God aren't coming with me to church, but they will come with me to my poetry slams and they'll ask me questions about God there. And then to see those who graded and rated and voted saying she's excellent at her craft. We want her to teach us. I mean, I was young, but I was learning that it mattered to care about the content and mattered to care about the craft. And it was an, a door into spaces that some of my other friends who were Christ followers didn't have. I was like, God, don't let me forget this. You know, let me, yeah. let me hold this with gratitude and with intentionality and, you know, praying a lot. You know, how do I not do this in a weird way? Please, God, show me. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think somewhere along it's there, so along good. the line. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, and you just kind of like went through a little like riff right here when they graded and rated and voted. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, like how, how often, like when you're writing a message, do you, you know? because you, you've kind of made this, you've made this jump from spoken word to, I mean, this last year, I feel like you've been preaching multiple times a week on, on the weekends, yeah. um, different conferences, but, and, and, you know, they're different messages. You're not giving like one message at 52 different, you know, right. different places. Like you're giving diff, like biblical, like exegesis. But right. I'm curious about how, because I think there's something here. There's something about um, whenever I'm talking with communicators and coaching them, I'm really trying to help them understand the importance of energy management. When you are speaking, there's, there's times of tone to, to kind of create energy. There's times that this word could be stressed. It's activistic. Like there's moments you do this like so naturally because I think part of the craft of the spoken word, then I hear you preach and I'm like, you are, you, you are a master of energy of what like the spirit of God is doing in the room and a master of like playing with 
pictures, words, almost like turning it around. And he just did it like naturally graded, rated, voted, like it just, and it flows. <laughs> so I'm just curious, like, what can you, what can you teach like the emerging voice, like the, the, the young preacher or the, the, the pastor who's been teaching for 30 plus years yeah. about the importance of energy, phrasing, stringing words together that you've been like, this was a preaching hack that I took over mm-hmm. from my slam kind of, kind of competition yeah. to the pulpit. Well, I will say that even me accidentally having a rhythmic riff right there is because I hopefully perform and preach like I talk. And I yeah. talk like that. That's how I learned how to communicate. That's how I learned how to talk on the streets. You can ask my husband. Every fight has a good rhyme in it. <laughs> Every fight has some good dynamics and energy. I really win the rhythmic battles in any marital fight. So Why, Guy? <laughs> her, wife, her husband's name is Guy. Why, yeah. Guy? Why oh you got to lie? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you look so fly. No, yeah. So <laughs> it is how I talk. And I think that seamlessness, I will say, that I love, um, that was a big part, I think, of the craft of spoken word, which is that you are not this different person on stage than you are off. That helps uh. the conversation too. Like you're you're talking on there and then someone's like so performative and energetic and convicting and then you meet them off stage and they're evasive, they're impersonal. And it's like what you said was good, but as a listener, I actually want to know how what you said interacts with your real life. So you can give this great, you know, three minutes of poetic prose about hope and, and relationships and love. And then you're off stage and that doesn't match up with you. I think a big part of the spoken word thing was not because it's such a communal art, wasn't just what you said on stage, but the community aspect off stage in which you demonstrated what you said. And so I think that one thing for me, when it comes to energy and how you speak on stage, I I personally, as a listener, as an attender, uh, at churches and conferences, I love when the person, how they speak on stage is very fluid to who they are off stage. You're that way as well. You're extremely conversational on stage. Sometimes you sit on a stool, you know, you're very like, Hey, like me and you are buddies yeah. and we're for each other. And I'm coming into this lens, like we're buddies for each other. And here's how we can actually live for Jesus in 2021. What do you think about this? Like that's you, right? And that's you off stage too. And that's you on this podcast. And that's you on stage. And I think that's impactful, especially in the church, because there's no lack of talent out there. There's no lack of people that I can watch online that are extremely talented. What I want to know is what you're saying, how has that interacted in your real life? Um, How has that transformed how you live day to day? And so I would say that when it comes to like energy and and this, one thing I would say is like, how do you normally talk? Don't just watch a a preacher and you're like, now I need to do that because he did that because she did that. Now I need to do that because otherwise it's inauthentic and your inauthenticity will be a wall between people experiencing the gospel of Jesus through you. So it's really a lesson of learning more of your own voice and who you are and being more of that. And I am both. I'm like rhythmic and I tell stories and visuals, but I'm also conversational. That's how I talk. So now how do I bring that to life in a message on stage in a congregation at a conference, right? With stories, you know, I like to say that Jesus was the original spoken word artist because he told short stories that were really impactful that we're still talking about today with visuals and he was funny and it made people mad. Like, I just think that Jesus was the original spoken word artist. So storytelling, right? You talk a lot about that in this podcast, the power of storytelling. Um, But I would say one of the greatest lessons I learned 
as a spoken word poet that has helped me as a preacher is, you know, sometimes when you would compete in slam poetry and in spoken word poetry, you know, uh, competitions, there would be a judge panel of elite poets, of people who've won awards, of teachers or professors that would judge you. And then there's awards and there's prizes. But in the underground slam poetry scene, typically there's not a panel of judges. Typically we're all stuffed into a room, sitting on the floor or on bar stools or in coffee shops. And we're crammed in a coffee shop somewhere or a deli after hours. And the MC says, who here has never been to a poetry slam before? And then a bunch of people will raise their hands and the MC will hand them the scorecards. And what this symbolizes is that this is the voice of the people. And if people are on this stage just impressing the judges, impressing the professionals, then this is no longer the voice of the people because we're not actually communicating to everyday people. So they give the scorecards to a bunch of people who got dragged there by some one of their artsy friends or who's coming to support their cousin or who's very cynical about poetry. Look, I hate poetry. I hated poetry in school. I'm going to hate this thing. Oh my gosh, now I have a scorecard. And it's like, yes, are we still communicating to you or have we become a bunch of poets trying to impress other poets? Wow. And it gives you this sense of like reminder of what this art is really for. And that's how I learned how to speak. What are my friends really going through? How do my friends really listen? And how can I communicate to my friends where they are? That's spoken word poetry to me because that's how I learned it. So now as a preacher, um, whether at local churches, which I love, I mean, speaking at local churches um, is just one of the greatest joys my whole life. And also getting to be sometimes at conferences with our other friends, you know, getting to be with a bunch of leaders. That's great too. And I have kept this with me from my spoken word days of God, don't let me be a preacher just trying to impress other preachers, but let me be reminded of the person who was dragged here by their friend, someone who's never heard this passage before. How do I communicate to people who desperately need to know the hope of Jesus? And I've had times when I've brought some of my friends who don't know God, you know, some of my closest friends who just don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, they'll come with me to conferences and come to events, be backstage. And it's so crazy to me when they don't know who anybody is or anyone's resumes or what anyone's done. It always shocks me, the speakers that resonate a lot with them. I'm going to this conference. I'm like, oh, you got to hear my friend. You got to hear my friend. You're going to love this person. You're going to love this person. But the people that are reaching sometimes my friends far from God, giving them answers to their real questions and, and hope to their real brokenness, sometimes it's not who I think or not who I would expect. And so that's a conviction of mine is just rem remembering these hole in the wall delis and coffee shops of who has never been here before, who doesn't know Jesus. And if we imagine our congregations in such that way, you know, God, like, let me speak to people. Let me remember to communicate to where people really are and not just impress you with my energy or my rhyming or my memorization, but like, how do I really communicate to everyday people? It's one of the greatest lessons I learned from spoken word that at my best, I really try to keep remembering as I get to, you know, lead in churches and speak at, you know, other kinds of events, you know, with more ventilation than those slam po poetry competitions <laughs> had. You know, God, don't let me just be here impressing the other speakers. They're not yeah. really who I'm here to communicate to. I love that visual of, you just imagine if, you know, you're, you're a pastor in Oklahoma or, you know, Georgia, California, and, you know, healthy feedback is always good, but typically, yeah. you know, the, the feedback we're, we're given it is, you know, from the, 
you know, lead pastor or executive pastor or creative arts team, but like to hand that over to, hey, is there anybody here for the very first time? Yeah. Um, hey, just love, if you get a chance, can you just fill these five questions out? You know, and, and just to kind of hear what actually would emerge, uh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love that. It's a good reminder and it's a good just, I'm going to say character, Steve. I'm going to say on. character. <laughs> it's a good character check. You know, who am I, what am I doing this for and who am I trying to communicate to? And I would say the other thing um, when I'm thinking about, you know, you're, you mentioned like, hey, emerging voices or maybe voices that are now starting to speak in other spaces besides one church. That's you and I, right? We have yep. the honor and joy of getting to be at multiple congregations throughout the year. I would also say that for me, this is a craft thing for me, is I watched the sermons before me um, because not only do I want to speak the most like myself and not like someone else, not only do I want to make sure that I'm speaking in such a way that you will also meet off stage, not only do I want to be speaking out of conviction and out of passion, but I'm also want to honor the house that I'm in. And I'm also cross-denominational. I think you are too, right? Yep. We're in different uh, spaces, different cultures, different denominations, different you know, states. And I'm not here to shock you or scare you. Um, I really am here to support what God's already been doing through your church staff and this community and add a new voice and add a new lens. But I also watched the couple of weekends before me to see where the congregation is, what they're being discipled in, and also the temperament of the speaker. You know, if they say we do three bullet points, I'm not showing up with 50 and saying, well, they, I do 50 bullet points faster, you know? So get that tech team stretching because we're going to be in for a ride. Um, And if they're like, you know, we really are, you know, our church is very sensitive to things that are like this, like this. I'm not pushing that brink. You know, I'm not really here for that. And that's my own personal conviction. Every pastor and preacher needs to do what they're convicted to do. But as someone who feels like my, you know, calling is to be a resource to the local church. Um, it's also important to me that I'm myself, that I'm telling my story and what God's uniquely called me to say to this room. So I have to know what this room is like, what the demographic is like, what questions this area is asking so I can uniquely give God's answers to their questions, but also what is the temperament this church is used to? Now this church brought me in, so there's clearly something we have in common, but I also am just like not here to shock people through things I might do differently. That's something I'm fine assimilating with. That's something I'm fine with. Oh, they always cold open with the story. Oh, they always end with the song. Oh, they prefer to do scriptures from this version. Those are things that I'm not, um, I'm not going to do differently. Those are things I would love. Yeah. To, I would love to be supporting your church where they are. So I would also say that I think those would be some craft things for me, being more of your voice. Yeah, You know, imagining the people who really need hope having the scorecards as well as knowing the house you're going into so you can join them and what God is doing through them as opposed to possibly fighting against um, what God's already doing through that community. I think it's so beautiful. And, and any of you listening who have the chance and privilege to be invited to go speak and, you know, share someone else's pulpit or, or offer up a, a word, um, that's a great, it's great, great advice. Um, it's something I, I also do. I, I watch the, the, the few weeks beforehand. And then when I do a call, I ask them two questions. The other question I ask is, um, what, what like one guest came in from the outside that just crushed and why? And yeah. then I watch that talk because I just want to see like there was something about that person. And then secondly, hey, is there any like unspoken, like don't mention this because yeah. it actually brings up like trauma or pain 
Um, so for instance, I just spoke in, um, somewhere in the Midwest a few months back and I asked that question and they said, Hey, thanks so much for asking this. Um, someone, the person who spoke the week before made reference of, you could pull out of the, the, the parking lot, get hit by a car and die. And, and, and it was like doing this like whole, like it was a, a beautiful moment. Unfortunately, six months earlier, that had exactly happened and the whole the room story. changed. Right. Yeah. And totally. so like, so it, totally. like, and so it was just this uh un unknowingly like total subconscious like wasn't trying to be intentional like just was offering of a point but it but that it hit harder on that community so just that i think mm-hmm. what you're saying is so beautiful listen to the teach but maybe if you can find one and then find out hey don't ever bring up this uh cuz it just it, it allows you i think to have again not feel like a guest but feel like family and that's what's so unique about you everywhere i feel like you go it feels like family and I yeah. think because it's the homework you've done and the prep and the prayer beforehand. Hey, I want to I want to ask you though because again, one of the things I love just about you is your genuine and and I I think the world of your husband guy. You both have like this genuine love for people and mm-hmm. introducing people to to Christ. And yeah. you know this this new book that you put out, and I I I. I Got a chance to read it. Um, I loved it. I'm just a obviously big fan of you. But um, talk about kind of the the genesis of this book and what you what you're seeing because I think a lot of churches are trying to figure out how do we empower our people to yeah. live this message out. Um, talk about that. The story of why and why now and why this is so important for the church today. Yeah. Well, people just told me to write about what I know. And I said, well, I'm not an expert at much, but I am an expert at how not to show God's love. I've done it really wrong. I'm an expert mm-hmm. at how not to talk about Jesus because I've believed so many lies and allowed fear to really hold me back. Um, and so my book is called How Not to Save the World. And it's 14 chapters, 14 lies I have believed. Like I have to rely on my own power. Like it's my job to save the world and I can't rely on the power of God. Um, lies I've believed like, I'm better off doing it alone, believing that I don't need community or the community of the church, Um, believing the lie that I have to wait for the perfect step, that I have to wait for the perfect situation or opportunity or all the resources or all the confirmation to do what God's called me to do. But the truth is I just don't need to wait for the perfect step. I just need to take the next step. And lies like my story is not the right story. I'm not the right person. Or lies like there's some people in my life who will just never come to know God. There are some of my friends, coworkers, or family members who will just never know how much God loves them. And I think many of us believe these lies. We believe the lie that this person is called to share about God. Clearly, they have the gift of evangelism, but I am not skilled enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. And so because of that, you know, we compare ourselves to how other people talk about God. And we believe the enemy's lie that God has not created us, called us, or equipped us uniquely for the people right next to us. So it's really combating the lies because I feel like in the 10 years I've traveled and spoken at local churches, I'm constantly meeting people who have a loved one who doesn't know how much God loves them, a loved one in a tough place, a coworker who they're not sure how to invite them to church without being weird. And we have these people that we want to fight for the people we love and we want to say yes to God without fear of failing. But all these lies have held us back. And some of us have believed the lie that there are just some people who there is no possible way for them to know how much God loves them. But I believe that God is so gracious 
so gracious that there is a way for everyone we know to find out how much God loves them and that you and I are created for it and equipped for it and we're ready for it. And sometimes we compare ourselves to other people thinking, okay, if I want to show Jesus, then I have to preach like him. I have to talk like her. I have to knock on doors like this. I'm going to have to be weird. I'm going to have to say things I would never say, do things I would never do as if the call from God is to be less of ourselves. But really the call is to be more of ourselves, to uniquely invest in relationships that are right in front of us in the ways only we could, to share our unique stories, to be who God's called us to be. When God saw 2021 and 2022 and he thought, how am I going to show the world how loved they are? He uniquely made exactly us with our personalities, with our cultural backgrounds, with our cultural lens, with our questions, with our um, insecurities, like even the things that we think are, are would keep us from talking to people about Jesus are actually ways that we find commonality with other people. Like, oh yeah, I don't know that answer either. <laughs> Let's figure that out. Um it is actually good news that you and I don't communicate the same as other people who talk about God, that we're uniquely called to people in our own lives. And so I just knew that this was, it had been a few years since I had read a book on modern day evangelism. So I figured I'd write it. And I just think I've done it so wrong. That's why I felt like it w- I could write it. I was like, well, if I do a book on all of the wrong ways to do it, that I can write. And some of the truths that I've discovered through faithfully studying God's word, through being with local churches all around the country for 10 years, and through fumbling through my own flawed progress, I've discovered the truth about how we can reveal God's love to the people right next to us. And the truth is better. And I I know I shared with you previously, but so many people said uh, evangelism is not something Christ followers want or care about because, you know, it's not appealing. And I disagree. And that I believe that everyone wants to fight for someone they love. Everyone wants the people in their lives that are broken to not be broken, but we just don't know that we can communicate God's love to them through our relationships. Um, And I'm seeing local churches all over the country, very passionate about how can we actually build our churches again? How can we actually equip people in our churches to love like Jesus loved, to have relationships um, without doing them as a means to an end? How do we actually be fully ourselves and fully honest about our relationship with Christ? Like everywhere I'm going, I'm saying, man, thank you, God, that people were wrong, that we care about people knowing Jesus and the church is, is proving that to us. I, I absolutely love this. And I think what's so amazing about the book is you hit an ache. And the ache that so many of us have is I don't I don't want to screw it up. Or I feel yeah. like I have screwed it up. I don't and those lies, those 14 lies that you you attack with like an enthusiasm, like it's like beautiful. And and what I what I felt like from you know my just kind of reading of the book was, hey, this this is going to do three, three things, which makes it such an amazing book to me for the local church. One, it's gonna inspire every pastor every pastor to go, oh man, like five of these lies I've believed. Yeah. And, and, or, and then also like the storytelling, the, the depth of the text that you bring to light. It's like, it's like, it was inspiring to me. I think that was amazing. Two was, I felt like anyone who I handed this book, who is kind of a new believer all the way to, you know, Christ centered, like we all, we all want to get better at this. We all just yeah. don't know how. 
And I think the way that you went after this, this is just an incredible, incredible resource for, for anybody who's going, I have someone in my life. And I think this is, this is my personal like bent, like, you know, 2016, I wrote this invitational life. That was my first book, you know, and it was all about inviting people into this grander story. But like, for me, I realized if I'm doing like compassion ministry work, Mm -hmm. I always, I left and I felt better about myself, like, Mm. because I was like helping people. But like, when you're like going out and telling the story or inviting someone and someone says no to you, all of a sudden those lies, the shame, all of those feelings. So what ends up happening is it's easier to, to put the gas on certain ministries that you leave feeling better about. But the but when you take your foot off, and this is for every church leader listening, is why I think her book is so important. You take your foot off the gas of evangelism, it's the single hardest one to get going again. Hmm. And and I and I think this is why I think churches need regular teams, regular like resources, regular people that, that are just heating up this value. And I think again, I think you have done it masterfully. I think this is going to be a gift that lives for decades to come that's going to continue to help people address what lie is preventing them from the equipping that God has already given to them to tell their story, live their story, and invite people into the greatest story. And I just go, uh, if you're a church leader, you should do a series on this book. If you are a church leader who has an evangelism ministry, this should be a resource in your church. If you are actually just in your own personal life, because let's be honest, pastors, like we write sermons and we have meetings and our lives often can get so busy that we drive into our neighborhood and we've talked to so many people that like what got us into the game, which was reaching people who are far from God. um, If it's not on a Sunday after service, um, we're not often doing it. This book will just remind you why you got into this in the first place. So get yourself a copy. It's so good. I'm so sorry. I don't really do plugs like that, but I think it's not good. So I He's just so like, no, yeah, yeah. I just was like, this is so, so important. So, um, no, thank hey, you. I agree with you. Do, help me, help me understand this. Like you're on the road, you're teaching, mm-hmm. you're creating, um, what does, you know, in Glenn Packingham, I use this line often to kind of set up this question, but he talked about digging new wells, of water to like, that will like feed his soul. Sometimes it's worship. Sometimes it's scripture. Sometimes it's a practice, but like in this season right now, as like, you know, you kind of, um, I mean, people knew you, but obviously this book has kind of like pushed you more in front of people at conferences from not just spoken word, Hosanna yeah. Wong to preacher, to author, to leader, to how, how are you, what are you, what are you doing to right now to go, gosh, I, I, this is how I'm taking care of my soul, my heart, my mind, my faith. Well, the great news is that I'm doing it perfectly, Steve. So I am, I'm the one to ask. I'm so glad your listeners have joined. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> It's a great question because what's so crazy is so much of my journey and the authority in this book is because 10 years ago, when I packed my life into suitcases to travel the country to tell the gospel through spoken word poetry that ended up preaching, I actually had a really hard heart towards the church. Um, very critical of the church. I was one of those people who liked Jesus, but didn't really like Jesus people. And like many listeners have seen things they shouldn't have seen and heard things they were never meant to hear. 
So even though I went on the road and it was this journey of faith, you know, I was living from living room to living room, cot and basement to cot and basement, hotel room, to hotel room, guest room to guest room for four and a half years, sharing the gospel of Jesus through spoken word poetry. My heart was hard towards the churches I was in thinking I'm coming to minister to you, but I don't want to be a part of you. And I thought 10 years ago that God was calling me to do something, but it turns out he was calling me to be someone. And what he was doing in me was so much greater than what people, you know, saw God doing through me, honestly. And God is really, um, through me staying at homes with pastors and their wives and their kids and staying over a night to stay with their small group after I ministered on the weekend or, you know, after I do a series with the church going and, and staying for Thanksgiving with that family. After years of being with different pastors and their families and staff members and volunteers across denominations, across cultures, across state lines, I learned the beauty of the church, the truth about the beauty of the local church, and that I could be a part of creating the community I longed for, a part of creating the community, partnering with God to build the community Jesus prayed for. And it's made me fall in love with the local church. But as you mentioned, what a lot of listeners have in common with me is that we love the local church and we're part of the local church and we want to be the change from within the church. Like that's something that I learned was that change was only going to come from the inside. The only way we're going to see change within the church is not if we leave the church and say, we can't stand all those people. But if we say we're the people, we're the people we've been praying for, we're the leaders we've been begging God for, someone has to rise up and really love God and really love people and represent Christ well. It's us, let's go. Change is only going to come from the inside if people who really love God and really love people stay in it and are the change from within it. So my passion is for all of us to stay in it, that those of us who love God and love people will stay in it. But I know that many of us are exhausted and tired, and I'm in that boat. I raise my hand. This is exhausting. Um, Dealing with our own personal traumas, our family's traumas, now our church's traumas. Now we're supposed to lead, and we're still in the middle of trauma. Leading in this moment is, is very difficult, and no one, nobody is ignorant to that. And I would say, you know, I'm seeing how many of us are, are leaving. I'm seeing how many of us are so exhausted that we're quitting. Um, and I know a lot of people listening are like, either I am or everyone in my churches. Like a lot of us are, are dealing with this mass quitting. In fact, if you just look Google uh, now, you'll see that many business gurus and economy experts from Forbes to, you know, Business Insider to New York Times to Washington Post have dubbed this season the Great Resignation, that there is a mass quitting. There is a collective group of leaving. And we're just talking about the workplace and the workforce. We're not even talking about calling. We're talking about in the workforce. I remember reading that the U.S. Department of Labor said that April, May, and June of this year, 2021, 11.5 million people in America left their jobs. So we are in a season of feeling we are overwhelmed and we're quitting. And the truth is that, you know, when it comes to calling, there might be some things that you and I need to quit so we can better say yes to the things God has absolutely called us to do. And in order for us to stay in it and be the change from within it, in order for there to be a great rebuilding, there might first need to be a great resignation, a spiritual inward resignation, a repentance, a letting go of the roles and the mentalities and the insecurities and the fears that we were absolutely not called to. 
And for some of us, the enemy is not destroying us. He's distracting us by us putting all of our time and our energy and our fears and living to please people, which was not a role we were called to with carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, which is not a role we were called to with comparing ourselves to how other people are leading or how other people are speaking during this season and taking up all of our time. And that is not a role we were called to, to over committing to things that are absolutely taking our time from the things we were actually called to. And so I think to answer your question about how am I staying healthy in this season, I, we, me and my husband and my team have really, you know, taken to this moment, this cultural moment in history that people are calling the great resignation and thinking, what do I need to quit so that I don't quit the call of God on my life? What are the things I need to quit so I don't quit what God is calling me to do so I don't quit the most important things in my family, in my team, for congregations, for the local church? What things do I need to quit? Perhaps I'm saying yes to things out of other motives than what I'm called to. Perhaps I'm being busy with things that are things God has not called me to. You know, perhaps I'm feeling pressure from this or that or living to please these people or that or comparing myself to this or that. And I had to come to a place where I was like, God, I resign because if I don't start quitting some things I'm not called to, I'm going to quit altogether. And I believe we need to stay in it. We need to show this world the hope of Jesus Christ and the local church is what God wants to use for us to do it. So what are you going to do to stay in it? So I have actually a, a resignation letter. That's all these things in this season that I'm quitting so that I'm not saying yes to anything for any other reason other than what God's called me to do. Um, I would say that's a big thing, an open repentance to my husband, my team, and to a couple of mentors in my life who I'm just, I push myself to be very vocal and honest with them about where I am and they hold me accountable. And that's how we're staying in it this year. That is one of the most beautiful answers um, that you have a resignation letter and that you are being open and honest about what you need to quit. So you don't quit the most important thing that is. Um, I think I just need to let that sit um, because I think for many people right now um, listening, you might just need to grab a pen, pull the car over, take out your, your phone and the notes and maybe make, make those things that are, creating weariness of the soul and attacks on the mind and on the spirit and just what are, what are, what are things that you need to resign from so that you don't resign from the most important thing? Um, yeah. Naming it, naming, naming it, it naming writing it. it out and telling someone else, you know, yeah, yeah. some might say it's the thing beneath the thing. Look at you in your product placement. So much look, say. At you. look, I'm like you. I actually don't plug unless I've read something and believe in something and believe in someone. I hope that my word is something that has a reputation of if she said it's good and godly, it is. So I'm I'm only plugging good things. I'm, words of affirmation is not my love language. I don't just hand that stuff out. <laughs> you're you're from San Francisco. I know. North NorCal versus SoCal is different. It's different. It's different. Uh, it's different. No, hey, Hosanna, let people know where they can find you. Hey, you can find me at hosannawong.com. Uh, it has all my like my sermons and my spoken word and some free devotionals and resources. If you love podcasts, if you're like, hey, I hate reading. Um, I prefer Audible. Great news. I read my book on Audible. I read it. And I also, I also do two spoken word pieces in it. 
um, that I perform. So it's kind of like an interlude. And also I'm on Instagram, Hosanna.wong. I also post lots of sermon clips there because I believe in interrupting the scroll with truth. Like, welcome. We are interrupting these lies today to tell you more of who you are. So that's the best kind of place to connect with me on social media too. That's fantastic. I forgot to even think, like, I forgot to even like think that like you would have done the audible book. Like, um, I, and I, now I'm frustrated at myself because there are certain people, you know, like I, I bought Matthew McConaughey's book and I'm like, why did I buy it? I should have just, I, you're like, you, you got to listen to to him, you know, like your book would be awesome to listen to. So Me and Matthew have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, you know, we like to call him Maddie. We like to call him Maddie over here. Yeah, Maddie. That's right, that's right, that's right. But uh, <laughs> hey, um, thank you. Thank you for who you are. I'm cheering you on. Big fan of you and Guy. And uh, thanks for just not resigning. Um, yeah, you too. From the thing that matters. Uh, you, uh, you are a force for good. And you are just, I just see Christ alive and doing amazing work in and through you and through your story, through your story. Yeah. So um, thanks everyone for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. Please share this episode with a friend. If you know someone uh, who, you know, maybe maybe he's on the verge of just needing to, to quit some stuff, um, send them over this word. Um, or if you're looking for a resource uh, to kind of heat up that evangelism culture, that that people who like live out the way of Jesus, I'm telling you what, this book is going to go after the lies that you and your people and your staff have, and it will transform them. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for all our sponsors. And I hope you have a blessed, blessed week. Grace and peace. Y'all we'll see you in a couple of weeks. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.